Hello and welcome everyone. I am Kale Fleggy and this is the Made in Gainesville podcast. On this show, you'll hear stories and get insights from business owners and leaders from across the nation that have ties to Gainesville. On this episode, we'll hear from Jason Hurst. Jason owns two Maple Street restaurant locations in Gainesville and works in commercial real estate with Avis and Young. We'll cover a wide variety of topics, including juggling business with family and faith, giving back to the community, the LeBron versus Jordan debate, and much, much more. We had a lot of fun with this one. Enjoy. All right. So you're a Chicago native? Yes. Um, How'd you end up in Gainesville? So, golly, how much time is on this podcast? Um, so I originally from Chicago. I went to Florida A&M to get my uh, uh, business degree. Ended up going through the five-year business program. Um, went off into uh, Wall Street when I graduated, um, and loved New York. Obviously, being a 25-year-old living in New York, we actually lived in New Jersey, but commuted to New York every day. So it was really, really cool. Um, but got completely burnt out by the Wall Street lifestyle. Um, so I had interned with Pfizer Pharmaceuticals while I was um, in college, and gave them a call and said, "Look, I want to go into sales, flex my sales muscles." And, um, you know, give me the first thing that opens up in the South. And they were like, well, we'll send you that back to Florida. Um, we have an opening in the Jacksonville territory. So I'm like, okay, cool. I can do Jacksonville. You know, I'm a city guy, like city, uh, like cities. Um, so when I moved down here, when I came down for the interview, they uh, say, okay, you're hired. So the Jacksonville territory is really vast, but um, you're not going to be actually in Jacksonville. You're going to be in the otherville. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, don't know too many other villas other than Jacksonville. Um, and they said Gainesville. And I said, where? They said Gainesville. <laughs> and um, that's how I ended up in Gainesville from Chicago. And I've been here ever since, kind of jumping around in different career paths. But um, I think real estate and the restaurant business is where, I, where I'm going to make my home. Okay. So how long were you doing the Wall Street thing? I did Wall Street for a year. Um, I was a, an analyst at the private bank and okay. uh, with J.P. Morgan. So did Which, you get the uh, the Gucci loafers? I mean, those are, those are like a requirement up there, right? No, but I've got some crazy things that I've seen. Um, and it, the lifestyle is really crazy. So these guys, um, I almost understand. I don't condone it, but I understand some of the things these guys do to kind of loosen up. But, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a very interesting lifestyle, like to the point where we would leave uh, work, go out and go to different social events and uh, happy hours, and go back to work. <laughs> and then uh, it was cool though. We got car service. I got car service from Midtown Manhattan all the way to Jersey, which was pretty cool. But um, just a, a fast-paced lifestyle. Very uh, lots of greed. Um, it, it was. It wasn't. I, I like the finance world for a um, for myself for personal investing, and as a uh, just as a wealth building tool, obviously. But as a career, it's a little bit different up there. Um, sure. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, eighty hours a week, hundred hours a week for some of my friends, but. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, so you're an entrepreneur. You had uh -huh. some previous ventures. Uh, maybe yeah. you can kind of let us know what some of those were. <laughs> and, you know, what did you learn from those, you know, ventures that are helping you today with running yeah. two restaurants? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good question, man. I, I don't, uh, I wish my wife was here to help me count through all of the different business ventures. See, this is the thing. I'm, I'm never afraid to fail and I always bounce back. I don't see failure as a, an end-all be-all. I see failure as a learning opportunity. And let's just say I've had a lot of learning opportunities. Um, so my, my entrepreneurial muscles started in, I think, around fifth grade. 
Um, I started a, a landscape business, and then I realized that landscaping doesn't take you all the way throughout the year in Chicago. So I kind of learned how to retool it to a landscaping slash snow plowing business. So, <laughs> so I had that, and I did that just in the neighborhood. So I, I saw the power of making your own money, and I've always been employed ever since I was 15. I've never gone in any period of time without having some kind of income coming in. I didn't know at the time that um, uh, I was supposed to be an entrepreneur. But um, while I was in college, I did have a, uh, a line of T-shirts called Black Theory. Um, it was a, a, some T-shirts just kind of accentuating African-American folklore heroes. Um, <laughs> I sold about 25 shirts, and that was about the extent of my career. That was, that was my complete inventory, though, so I sold. I always tell people, I'm sold out. I'm sold out. But it was only 25 shirts, so it wasn't anything super, <laughs> super exciting. Um, I started an investment club while I was in school called um, Elite. I can't even tell you what. It was an acronym. I can't even tell you. It was some super complicated acronym that uh, kind of spelled elite, so I thought it was kind of cool. Um, that got killed by the, um, not, the events of 9-11. Our portfolio just kind of like went, <laughs> went, went uh, belly up, so that, that was over really quickly. Um, and, then, and then for a while, I just kind of focused on school because I, I figured at some time, I didn't want to be Van Wilder, so I had to graduate at some, some point in my life. Um, so then when I graduated, moved to New York, uh, worked corporately solid, for a solid four years between uh, J.P. Morgan and, and Pfizer. Um, and then when I moved to Gainesville, uh, working with Pfizer, um, we had massive layoffs around 2008. They laid off the entire workforce. Um, so uh, I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do next. I didn't know if I was going to go back to Chicago. Um, I didn't know if I was going to stay here in Florida. Um, I had At that time, I had a, a rental property. I had my own house. Uh, so I was kind of spreading my roots here in, in Gainesville. So um, I had always wanted to be a franchise owner. It's funny, I've always, since high school, when I was in DECA and all these business organizations, I always wanted to be a franchise owner. I thought at the time I was going to start a soul food restaurant called Lottie Mae's Soul Food Cafe, and I still may do it um, in honor of my that grandmother. Good. Yeah, Lottie Mae's Soul see, it's got a little buzz to it. So I, I, haven't, I haven't let go of that one in particular, but I always wanted to be a franchisee, and I've always, um, even through college, I used to always, um, you know, order the packets, the franchise packets for a Tropical Smoothie and Subway and kind of just ingrained myself in how that worked, um, but never really pulled the trigger. So I was going to pull the trigger on a janitorial business and go the franchise route. Um, so I, I got all the packets for the different janitorial businesses that were pretty popular in, like, Inc. Magazine. And I was like, you know what? Instead of paying somebody all these franchise and royalties fees, and, and I've kind of learned the business, I'm just going to start it myself. So I started off in residential cleaning, which was very low margin, high expectation, low margin. Um, and then realized that the commercial side of cleaning was probably where I needed to be at because it was um, higher margin, uh, a little bit lower expectations. Because, I mean, obviously, residential is where people lay their heads. That's where the kids are. That's where they eat at. Office space, not so much. Some people eat there, like, like myself. Um, but ended up being in commercial cleaning. And um, after, after my time at Pfizer, I ended up starting a full-fledged um, commercial cleaning business called Sparkling Spots. Um, don't ask me how I came up with that name. I just thought spots should sparkle. <laughs> so, uh, so that was probably my longest standing entrepreneurial um, effort. Um, I did ended up doing government contracting for um, the United States Postal Service, um, Florida Department of Transportation. Uh, did some some private contracting with uh, Verizon. Uh, so I was it was taking me all over the state. So that, I thought that was pretty cool to be able to manage a business. Um, all over the state. At that time, I got married, so I had to uh, even even push myself a little bit harder. <laughs> I had a son at the time, so 
um, it grew very, uh, very, very vast. But I always said that um, once the real estate market bounces back, I'm going to get into the real estate industry. Um, and at that time, I, I first started with Coldwell Banker when I first started in, in the real estate industry. Um, ended up running into Nick, Nick Banks and one of his partners um, shortly thereafter. And I knew that I wanted to be with business owners, having been an, been an entrepreneur. And there's so many other stories. There's so I, I'm really not telling you the full depth. I, I'll just give you, I'll just touch on some of the other entrepreneurial ventures. So I used to own a business called Techmoto, which did uh, buy, sell, trade, and repair uh, electronics. Um, I used to have a, a, bil uh, a business called Hearst Media Emporium. I always had really cool names, but they just never had a lot of substance. Uh, Hearst Media Emporium, which I did um, filming. I thought it was going to be like the next Spike Lee. Um, that lasted uh, until about two weddings in when I just, I was misspelling words. Uh, I missed the, the kisses at the wedding. So it was, oh. it was just, it was horrible. <laughs> it was not my calling whatsoever. <laughs> but um, God, I, 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 there was at least about seven ventures that I had um, in the ones that have been successful have been the sparkling spots, um, real estate, and uh, now currently Maple Street. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> what lessons from those previous yeah. businesses, you know, like when you're running Maple Street or yeah. you're doing commercial real estate, have you ever like sat back and been like, oh, wow, you know, I, yeah. I can figure this out because of what happened yeah. back then? You know, I get the unique opportunity to mentor a lot of people um, as they get started. And a lot of people obviously ask me a lot of questions because of the experience that I've, I've had. And I always tell people that I can pinpoint why I wasn't successful in some of those businesses and why I was successful in the others. And, you know, if you if you don't have a plan, a business plan, uh, a man that uh, fails to plan, plans to fail, um, every single one, I, it's, it's like like clockwork. If I did not have a business plan and just jumped into it because I'm just so ambitious and always had a knack for starting something, it always was unsuccessful or always ended Bad. I've never, I've never really lost my shirt. Never had to file for bankruptcy. Thank God. Um, but anytime I've had a legit plan and actually worked it and executed it, it has always been successful. Um, never be afraid to take risk and big risk. Um, you know, a lot of people sit on the sideline and overanalyze it, but it's really a, it's almost like a, a it's almost like a tinge of fear of of starting and what would happen if it doesn't. Um, so I've, I've become extremely spiritual uh, in Christianity, and there's a story um, in the Bible that talks about these, these four lepers that were sitting at this city gate, and they were either going to sit there and die, or they can go to this vast country that was nearby, which had a huge army, and they can go there and die. If they sat there, they would surely die, but if they go there... You never know what can intervene there. I, I liken that to a principle called the corridor principle. You get more on your way when you start than just sitting back and waiting. So every time I've started off like those four levers, I've always gotten different things um, on the way, whether it be a learning experience, whether it be an investor, whether it be um, somebody opening up a door for me. But the story ends, in, in, in that biblical story, if I can jump back to that, it ends with them going in uh, to that city and uh, uh, God was able to uh, make it sound like a, a huge, vast army was coming. So that army that was in the city got so scared that they just left everything, all of their riches, all of their guns, and left the city. So these guys ended up getting way more on their way than when they started. So um, I've always been a person that at least let's, let's come up with a plan, let's start it, because you never know what doors are open. And if you fail, so what? You have a not, if you're not dead, 
um, you have another opportunity to, to start again. So you said, you know, you started in uh, yeah. residential real estate before yeah. you made the jump to commercial. Um, you know, did you have to learn some lessons the hard way when you got into commercial? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there was some, <laughs> yeah, no, there was some serious lessons I had to learn. Um, so commercial real estate for me was completely new. Uh, whenever, whenever I start off in something new, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you even either need a person or a publication. You either need, need a, a person that could mentor you or a book that you can read. One of those things is going to give you the information you need to be successful. Um, one of the hardest lessons that I had to learn um, came when I, was, did a, I did a Sky Zone deal in Ocala. Um, if you, if for those that don't know about Sky Zone, Sky Zone is a huge um, uh, trampoline park. And they were opening one in Ocala. And, you know, sometimes my tendency is to move things quickly and not pay attention to the details. So I moved the deal together quickly. And uh, it, was going on, it was going on very, very well for several months. But I had never stopped to have the conversation to negotiate my fee. Um, and usually you want to negotiate your fee and make sure communication and everything is all spelled out before you get to the point where signatures are starting to trade. So we got to the point where signatures are starting to trade. So I assumed from times past, you know, par for the course, what the fees should be for a deal like this. So I was calculating that and, you know, I was getting excited uh, when the deal was going to close. It was going to be a big payday. Um, so uh, we got to the point where it was time to sign and I had not communicated. So when, they, when I went to go get the commission agreement signed afterwards, um, it took a six-figure deal and made it a five-figure deal because I didn't have that single conversation um, up, up front. So I have learned to be very, very, very clear in communication because everything is not assumed on both parties. Um, we're reading a book right now called um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And um, it really talks about being very, very clear in communication and really understanding what other people's objectives are and what your objectives are and never taking anything for granted. Um, and that was a, a lesson, a hard lesson I had to learn up front. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I still, I don't want to say I lose sleep, but I still, I still kick myself about that. And that was three years ago. <laughs> I'm sure they loved you for helping them save some money. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they probably call me all the time now. <laughs> so what else is going on in your commercial real estate career? So recently, um, Front Street merged with Avis & Young, um, which, was, which has been extremely, extremely exciting. Um, in the process, my title uh, kind of gave me a promotion. Um, I went from being a director at Front Street to being a senior vice president for, for Avis & Young, which is really cool. The biggest opportunity for us at Avis & Young is that they traditionally, uh, even though they're a multinational firm uh, with offices all over the country and all over the world for that matter, they have never really done a bunch of retail business in Florida. And retail really had been really Front Street's bread and butter for several years. Um, up until the time of the merger. So it has really opened up the opportunity for us from the small town of Gainesville, Florida, to do business all over the state. Um, in just the past three weeks, we've been pitching listings in Tampa and uh, Fort Lauderdale, up to Tallahassee and Jacksonville. So it really has really expanded my um, belief about what the capabilities of real estate can be um, beyond just the four walls of, of Gainesville and even uh, Tallahassee, which I had been uh, director for as well for, for Front Street. So it's been really a, a, an exciting time. I never, 
anticipated getting into uh, corporate the corporate side of commercial real estate, but um, I wouldn't say I would say that um, Avis and Young is not extremely corporate in its sense. It's very entrepreneurial. It's privately owned by the people that run the business, uh, brokers like myself. Uh, once you reach a certain threshold, you become what's called a principal of the company. So it's run by people who are making it happen on a daily basis. So we don't have to answer to Wall Street. We don't have to answer to a whole bunch of corporate entities um, other than, you know, our, ourselves. So it's been extremely exciting, um, the impact that we were able to make. And it's really allowed me a platform. Um, I'll say this uh, quite candidly. The minorities are very underrepresented in commercial real estate. Um, I'd say less than 1% at the level of brokers and up um, in management are represented by minorities. And that's across the board, Asian, Hispanic, uh, women, um, African-Americans. So it's really allowed me a platform to be able to discuss those issues very freely and openly and be a part of the International Council of Shopping Center Groups, Um, give back to my alma mater of FAMU and talk to some of the students on a regular basis and get involved in in ULI, uh, Urban Land Institute. So uh, I would say that this new merger, too, has allowed my voice to be a little bit louder in that community and really trying to effectuate change. Well, speaking of which, yeah, you have an Instagram post that you made a few months ago <laughs> okay. that I'd like to uh, All right. read to you if you don't mind. Oh, my goodness. All right. You said, as I walk up to my polling place in the city of Newberry, I'm reminded of the six African-American citizens, the Newberry Six, that were lynched just a mile up the road. I'm reminded of the prosperous African-American community of Rosewood just minutes away that was destroyed because of a group of people that couldn't understand our differences as a people group are only skin deep. I also imagine all the people that rejoiced when voting rights were finally granted to them so that they could walk up these same stairs and have their voices count and exercise some sort of power for once in their lives. How dare I disgrace those liberties by not exercising my right to vote. Many were wronged for you to have that right. Now, that was a really powerful post. Thank you very much. Um, and, of course, you're talking about voting there. I was nervous, but <laughs> You're talking about voting there, but, yeah. I mean, like you said, you know, very underrepresented, you know, yeah. in real estate. Um, you know, just a few, you know, not too many decades ago, you know, you know, we're talking about Maple Street also, you know, yeah. you wouldn't have been, you know, an African-American wouldn't be able to get, you know, a lease in a good location. They wouldn't have been able to get, you know, a bank loan. Um, you know, they probably wouldn't have taken you know, an African-American realtor seriously. Um, you know, just jumping back to the Instagram post, you know, how, you know, how do you feel about, you know, kind of the tie in there? Yeah. Um, I, I never anticipated being, um, a pioneer, but when I talk to a lot of people who, um, have seen stuff like that on, on social media and heard about some of the stuff I've been fortunate enough to do, um, it is really groundbreaking. Even, even to the point where in, in Gainesville, it's even more groundbreaking because of stuff like that that happened uh, in Rosewood and the Newberry Six and um, the, the, the gap in disparity, uh, the economic disparity here in the city. It's even more groundbreaking. Um, so I, I don't take that opportunity lightly to make sure that I don't get to a place where I'm losing humility, humility enough to give back um, and open those doors for other people. Uh, <clears throat> what, the way I grew up, um, I grew up in a small town right outside of Chicago in Cook County called LaGrange. Um, it was very segregated, divided by train tracks. My grandmother worked um, as a sharecropper in Tennessee, moved herself up to Chicago, married, married my grandfather, and cleaned floors for a living. And if you did not tell us, if you did not tell me that I was poor, I would never have known that because she always, I didn't know this, I found this out later, she was on government assistance. 
um, she because she had five kids and she was raising me as well, a uh, single single uh, parent kid, um, and raised us in a two flat house, probably no bigger than probably no bigger than the office that we're sitting in. There was five people, mostly women, and myself all living in one one roof uh, with one restroom at that. So it's crazy, um, but. God forgive her, but she she lied about where we lived at just so I can go live on the uh, go to the other side of the tracks and go to the schools um, that were quote unquote a rated schools. So I was the minority. I've I've always grown up the minority um, in every set, and I never would have noticed the differences until I moved down to uh, the southern states. Um, I've always grown up to being the minority. I mean, there's been certain instances that have um, in our in our nation's history that have kind of extenuated ex, like, the, like the Rodney King incident, uh, like the, uh, uh, the OJ trial. Um, and without getting too political, that kind of caused a na- national divide. But if w- without that, I've always been the minority and I've always been able to get along with people of different colors, different creeds, different races. Um, but when I came down here, I almost, I almost felt that weight of, of my color. Um, and, it, and it's, it almost it almost fuels my 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 passion for you know bringing those two sides together cuz other than you know the pigment of our skin there's not much difference if you talk to somebody for no more than 2 to 5 minutes i guarantee if if we had a conversation off the record 2 to 5 minutes we'd find at least 3 to 5 things that we have in common and the really the the only differences that we may have are are just cultural where we grew up um and, and our the pigment of our skin but that shouldn't be um, something that causes us to think about people differently or treat people differently. Um, so I'm very passionate about bridging that gap. And, and that's, why, that's one of the things that fuels why I jumped into Maple Street, why I went out and took the opportunity and put, put it all on the line to, to open up those two restaurants and make it a place where people can connect in the community um, to know that we're not that, we're not that different. Um, that's why I go to these different conferences and I speak to different students from historically black colleges and universities and from different um, universities to know that, you know, we're not that different. You can do this. Um, and it shouldn't be a, your, your race or your color or your um, gender shouldn't be a barrier. Um, big roundabout way of answering that question, but oh, good I, I feel answer. very passionately about that. Oh, that's that. great. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a powerful post. caught my eye and I also want to get the tie in with the business as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and we are the we are the first um, franchisees, not just African American franchisees for Maple Street. And and let me let me preface this because they're probably gonna listen to this once you post it. We don't call our franchisees franchisees of Maple Street. We call them charter store owners. We hate the connotation of franchisees because it doesn't sound like it's a family. We're part of a family of stores, um, and we're charter store owners at, at Maple Street. Fair enough. So now I got that out of the mind. As a franchisee, we are the first uh, ones with the, in the Maple Street system um, to have signed, um, and obviously the first African Americans to do it, which I'm, I'm very proud of. So you talked a little bit about you know why you want to get in the restaurant business yeah. and for that community feeling. Yeah. Um, you know, but what what else about the you know restaurant business you know attracted you, and and why did you go ahead and jump into two essentially at one time? <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't mean to jump into two, so I, I'll tell that story too. Um, I would not have jumped into the restaurant business if it was not for Maple Street. Maple Street specifically, um, want, ma- the Maple Street model specifically made me want to bring back that idea uh, that I had years ago to jump into the, the restaurant business. And I'll tell you why. So the mission of Maple Street is not even food related. 
a lot of different uh, restaurants will try to tie their missions and their slogans and their jargon to food in some kind of way. Hungry, why wait? And uh, have you had your break today? And uh, But it's always given the connotation of food uh, or coming to get food or coming to get something. And there's very few businesses that don't do that. But Maple Street's mission is to help people serve others and be a part of the community. The way that they do that is through serving comfort foods with a modern twist, serve graciously. We believe in gracious service. Um, we believe that that opens up ways for us to open up conversations with people, um, not just between our staff and people, but between people and people, which is why we ask the question of the month when you walk in, which is why we have big tables with community seatings, uh, which is why we have good food so you can come back and back and back again um, and have those, build those relationships. Um, so had it not been for the Maple Street way of doing business, I would not have gotten into it. Um, it is very community-oriented. Uh, we open up our doors to different organizations. We have a missional brunch series every first Sunday of the month where we'll connect with a, an organization that we're passionate about or that may, one of our guests may be passionate about and allow them to table in the restaurant and build awareness for their cause. And also a portion of the proceeds for that day goes back to those, those individual organizations. Um, we've opened up our doors to people who could not find a way to um, get their businesses or, or, or afford to get their businesses um, for like a farmer's market. For instance, uh, a young lady who owns a business in town called Lavish Petals. Uh, she was just in the, in the neighborhood asking us, you know, for guidance. You know, where could I go to do a pop-up shop for Valentine's Day? And we were like, right there in that corner. And we allowed her to come in and, and do a pop-up shop the entire week of Valentine's Day. And she just broke down into tears. She was so grateful. Um, we, could, we could not have that opportunity if it was not for being in great spaces like Butler Plaza and Tioga Town Center to where people would come and connect with a person like that who was, was looking to get her name out there or support uh, United Way or support um, Creative of Gainesville. Um, who, who helps out with human trafficking. So we, more than, more than serving the food and more than being in the food business, which we've had to sharpen our learning curve a little bit, um, we are uh, a vehicle and a conduit for giving. And that's the same reason why I joined Front Street at the time, um, now obviously Avis and Young, is because of their invested program, where they gave 10% of their, their earnings back to uh, the Gainesville community at large. That was the big reason why I jumped on. Anything that is a conduit of giving, will always be blessed and always uh, be empowered to prosper. So I've always connected myself with, with giving organizations. So how did you end up with the second location in Butler Plaza? Oh my goodness, let me take a swig of that. Um, so my, my vision for um, Tioga Town Center for Maple Street, I actually pitched Maple Street on it when, it when they were just my clients. So I connected with Maple Street as a client of mine back in 2015 and helped them find a location in Tallahassee and then helped them find their location in Butler Plaza. So I actually helped them find the Butler Plaza as a client, not knowing that one day I'd be the owner of it. But, but, but backtrack. So I was in the process of getting into Maple Street, which is a very, um, I say a very tedious process, more than I expected. Um, but it's, it's one to really uncover who you are at your core and who you are in, uh, in your character. So I had to read three books, uh, Raving Fans, Good to Great, and Crucial Conversations, How to Communicate um, in High-Stakes Situations or something like that. Um, so knock those out quick. Uh, there's a 19-question questionnaire that really asked like soul-searching questions that you had to really like, um, really like think about and really got into the core of who you are. 
Got through that. Examples. Oh man, I cannot remember what was on there. Anything that made you feel like super uncomfortable? It all, it, all nineteen words. <laughs> super uncomfortable. I wish. Oh man, I wish I had those questions with me. But it it was it really just kind of made you vulnerable because um, they wanted to uncover who you are. They want to know who they're doing business with. This is their first time jumping out into the the franchise world, so they want to know who they're doing business with, who's, who they're going to give their baby to, so to speak. Um, so I, I understood it, and um, it really. <laughs> It really made me go back and really ask myself, who who the heck am I? And <laughs> fix some stuff. But uh, nonetheless, I, I got through it. Uh, we, we found out it was going to be a good marriage and um, started off that process. Went to several different banks, heard no uh, a lot, um, but had found found a couple of banks that said yes and, and got the loans that we needed. Um, pitched some investors who were former clients of mine um, in a couple of deals in town, and uh, they jumped on board. Um, but we had the whole infrastructure ready to build Tioga, and we just kept running into delay after delay, whether it be with the city, whether it be construction, uh, whether it be financing. We just kept running into all these delays. And I'm like, Lord, what? why is this happening? Like, why? I, I just knew that I was, uh, I, I felt it was my destiny to open this thing, and I felt it was my destiny to open it here. I was like, why is all this happening? But, but sure enough, uh, Maple Street came back around and said, you know what, Jason? Um, we know you're opening that one. It's going to be a charter store. Uh, we have this community store, or for lack of better terms, corporate store. They call it a community store. Um, but it just doesn't make sense to have, you know, your your contacts in town. Um, you're, you're well into the community. Why don't we figure out a way to make this work? So I was like, cool. Uh, where do I get the money to do it? <laughs> um, ended up going to a whole bunch of other banks, and they said no. And they said no. They said no. So I was like, you know what, guys? I don't think I can do it. Um, Ended up going to, to training for opening the Tioga store, and we just got got to talking again. And they said, "No, we could. You should you should really go back. Just just step on the faith and go back and make it work." And sure enough, the next bank I talked to uh, found a way to make it work. And um, perfect timing because a lot of the funds that we generated initially from um, the Butler Plaza store opening in June of 2018 helped us to get through the last few hurdles of the Tioga store. Uh, when it opened up in August of 2018. So those, um, <laughs> I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm deep into spirituality through Christianity. Um, and my, the pastor of my church always says, every delay works to your favor. And sure enough, every delay was happening um, to just confirm what I, I knew in my heart I wanted to do. So it was, it was perfect timing. So I, I set out for one and I got double for my trouble, I like to say. <laughs> you uh, spoke about some challenges there. I heard you had some beef with uh, Starbucks over here in Tioga. <laughs> Um, not, not anymore. We're cool now. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so in the commercial real estate world, they have these things called exclusives. And without getting into too much detail for the sake of innocent people, um, Starbucks has the exclusive for coffee here. So there are some things that we can and can't do. Now, what do you um, mean the exclusive for coffee? Everybody yeah. here has coffee. Well, yeah. Deli has coffee. Taco okay. Place has coffee. So mum's the word, but... If they wanted to, um, if it was a threat to Starbucks, they could they could close them. Gotcha. So um, that's why if you ever go into our store, you won't see it branded or anything like that. We can serve it in-house, but technically you can't leave with it. Um, so if you left with it, that's on you. It, is, hell it is good coffee, by the way. Yeah, thank you very much. Our coffee is locally roasted out of Jacksonville, uh, one of our Jacksonville stores. We recently bought a co- company called Job Coffee, and now the Maple Street brand of coffee is uh, being roasted out of the Julington Creek store. Uh, so it's locally roasted. Um, 
I guess Jacksonville is local. It's local to Jacksonville people, but we get it from Jacksonville. So it's locally roasted in state, I guess we can say fairly. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we're very proud of our coffee. Uh, let's see. I always like to ask this question. Sure. What is the craziest situation you've ever had on your hands? And you, and you can go back deep because I know you had a, a ton, of, ton of businesses. It doesn't have to just be Maple Street or real estate. Yeah. Craziest one. Oh, man. You know, I was not going to touch on this, but we went back to this. We went back to this whole racial divide. And I have to laugh about it, but it is really scary that in 2000 and at this time it was 2015 that this was still happening. So no lie. So I consider myself, without tooting my own horn, I consider myself a pretty articulate person. Um, I don't know that you can, if you had a phone conversation with me, I don't know that you could really delineate who I am uh, as far as race, as far as color, um, on the phone with one conversation. I just, I'm, I consider myself articulate. I went to school, went to college, passed all my spelling tests. So, <laughs> uh, so I picked up a listing line call one day. I never forget this. Uh, when I was at Colwell Banker, uh, a gentleman saying, um, you know, come out to Alachua. Uh, I've got this house that looks like it's listed with you guys, and I want to, I want to come see it. And he's like, you sound like an educated person. Uh, just between me and you. Just make sure um, it's not in any colored areas. So I'm like, now this is 2015, right? So I'm like, okay, so I don't know if he meant the color of the houses, color of the cars. I'm like, okay, I started thinking anything of it. So I come, <laughs> this is, I'm laughing, but it's really not funny. So I come and show up for the listing, prepared as I want to be. And this guy is like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was like, why? He's like, I made a colored references and I didn't know you were colored. So I'm like, yeah, if that's what you call it in 2015. Like, so yeah, so I, I was like, oh, sir, I thought you meant the color of the car, the color of the, car, color of the houses. So I was making sure that the house wasn't in the colored area. And it wasn't. So um, he was like, yeah, uh, well, yeah, let's look at this house and any other house you got listed. And he was just, uh, every, every stop we made on that tour, we saw about two or three houses. He was just like, well, you know, I, I grew up, uh, I had colored friends. And, you know, that's the validator once you uh, get, go down that pigeonhole. And I had colored this and colored that. Uh, and, and still, I'm, I'm like, you're using colored in 2015. Like, no, nobody uses that. Um, but I, I go on with it, and I'm, I'm as professional as I want to be. Um, so I ended up getting back to the, the office. He calls me. And he's like, you know, one of the houses that we saw, um, I didn't see too many colors walking around. He's still going on. He said um, that. He's still, yeah, I didn't see After many, meeting you and yeah, everything. Yeah, he said, I didn't see too many colors walk around. And I, I thank you for understanding where I'm coming from. I'm like, sure, sir. <laughs> Hot inside, but being it's professional like, as I want to be. Do I understand? Be. Yeah, no, I, I really didn't. So it took everything in me not to just go off on them. But uh, I was trying to be professional. There was a brand that I represented. I didn't want to put them under the bus. Um, but now this is, this, is, this is the exact words. So he's like, there's an offer that I want to make. And uh, I want to I get it. So. Um, let's put in this number and come back to me when they, uh, when they accepted it. So the guys accepted it. Now, exact words now. He's like, oh, shoot, that's great. We're going to celebrate with some watermelon and chicken in 2015. He's doubling down. <laughs> He's just going in. So I went to my boss, and I was like, you'll never believe what happened to me in 2015. And I told him the whole story. He's like, look, man, I, I feel bad. Uh, I feel like we've had, we put you in this position. Uh, if you don't want to work with him ever again, I was like, no, I want to I wanna show him in 2015 that that's not us. 
never has been us really and show him another way of doing business um that you can work with an african-american um we are not what you thought you probably knew of an african-american because clearly if you're calling colored people you probably have much deeper thoughts about the african-american community um and i, I want to prove to him something different um so we ended up going through that we and never <laughs> i never thought this would happen but at the inspection there were some some African-American people walking down the street and he dropped the contract because he saw that. And it took everything in me not to just call him back and go off, but he dropped the contract and I never heard from this guy ever again. So, but in, in some placebo-like way, I hope that I changed his perception of what African-Americans are, uh, could be, and made him stop using the word colored in 2015. <laughs> so that was probably the, the the single most crazy situation that I've ever dealt with in probably in my life, let alone uh, real estate. But that is weird, right? I mean, aside from the whole situation, the guy obviously has some racial issues there, yeah. no but at, at no point did he request another realtor. No. There was something about you that impressed him. Yeah. So that, that's and, strange. And, and, it's, it, and it's, unfortunately, in this industry, as a minority, and not just not just African American, I mean, minorities across the board, you have to be on top of your game. You have to know what you're talking about, because in most people's minds, it's a largely a white male dominated industry. They're already probably thinking something of you, or probably have some kind of preconceived notion. So you have to be that much more on your game, I think. And I've I've made it my my personal ambition to be that much more on my game and be on top of it, um, to prove whatever stigma there may be, um, because over the years and generations, and I'm not saying that they uh, meant for this to happen, but people kind of migrate and hire and identify people that are like them. And I want to completely break the mold and open the door for other people. Um, so that's that kind of motivates me to prove something different and being on top of my game. I was hoping for a funny story. That's kind of, kind of it, depressing. It, you have to <laughs> laugh at that. I mean, how could you not laugh? I'm laughing at it. Ugh. Like... Uh, from that's what I'm from from my side looking out, I had to laugh because there are people that just don't get it still. Like, if you have a conversation with enough people, like I said, you you will find enough commonalities. There's only six degrees of separation, really. Everybody knows the same people. We all live in the same world, and the only thing that separates us is the dirt-colored ground grass of where we originate from. We're all the same if you talk long enough. And we all can find some common ground that we can bond on. That's why I have to laugh at it because it's dumb. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's what's plaguing our nation now, unfortunately. And it's, it's really, there's no place for it. And I, I really think there has to be more conversations like this. That's why I'm always open to having these conversations and really um, telling my story and, tell, and hearing other people's stories. Because um, if nothing else, that's the common ground. You know, That's where we can start um, effectuating change by having more one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, but 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 from a professional standpoint, that's that's why it kind of motivates me to work, and I probably work too doggone hard. <laughs> but it, it motivates me to, and pushes me to to be able to open the door, create that platform to have more conversations. Your parents, they're entrepreneurial as, as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, does that like run in the uh, blood? Do they give you any words of caution when you're getting into your businesses? <laughs> you know, um, my dad and and and. I have to break the stigma. So my dad's been, he's had a church for 21 years now, 22 years. 
And we, we know the church is a nonprofit. We know the church is uh, selling spirituality, so to speak. But it is doggone a business. I mean, they, they manage property. Um, they have to deal with people. Uh, they have a payroll. So, yeah, that's a business. And that's all I've grew, grown up around. My dad left corporate America to start this church and has been um, uh, single vocational for, for years now. I mean, there's been times where the church struggled um, with membership uh, and struggled with the different things here and there. But, and he had to go back to the workforce, but he always he's recently just jumped back into uh, making this his full-time job. But, yeah, it's, it's something that kind of runs in my blood now. Um, my mom works for the church as well. Uh, and they, they own a couple of the businesses in the plaza where the church is. So, yeah, I think entrepreneurship has always been in my blood, but um, it took me a while to find my knack for it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's, um, that kind of was embedded in me. So when you were, you know, getting in your business, you know, was your dad like, oh, you want to go through all that stress? You know what you're getting yourself into? Or, or was he, you know, encouraging? I, I think they're just like, they've seen it so many times now. They're just like, well, man, just... Just don't lose everything. <laughs> just, just don't lose your wife. Make sure you make sure your family. You have a wife now. You have kids now. Make make sure they're taken care of, and and just limit the risk. Because when I was younger, I I just put it all on the line, and I could. I mean, if worst case scenario, I just sleep in my car or sleep in my friend's house. But now that I have a kid, now that I have a house, we got rental property. We got um, now we have a name in the community. Now all that stuff has to go into the the factoring. But my and, and this is why one of the, one of the two most important decisions you can make, um, one of which being who you marry, um, I think that it's very important that you find a wife or find a mate um, that incubates your vision and that is, shares the same common ground with you. Because um, if you don't, in those fluctuating seasons or in those growth seasons, they're not going to really understand and they're not going to be there to pick you up because mentally it's draining. Physically, it can be draining. And if they're not 100% on board on, you know, building you up and standing behind you in those times, it could, it could weigh on your family. It could weigh on your, your wife. It could weigh on you. Uh, I've seen a lot of kids, I've seen a lot of uh, not kids, but friends of mine, you know, lose their family, lose their houses uh, over starting off into different visions and different dreams that they had on their heart. Um, but I, I think that's a very important to, to, make, to make it encouraging <laughs> for those who are already married and already made that decision, um, just be open in communication. Be vulnerable. Um, I think you're making them appreciate when you're, when you're vulnerable. Um, and it, it has really been a struggle for me because I have not been as vulnerable um, in communicating with my wife in times past. But this particular instance with Maple Street and um, with Front Street has allowed me to increase in my vulnerability and just kind of let her let – they want to just be in your world. So they want to know, you know, what, what makes you tick, not just all the great stuff that you bring home, but what's on your heart, what's weighing you down. Um, so, yeah, um, my, my, wife is, my wife is great. She runs the restaurants now. Um, so that was probably one of the best decisions I could probably have ever made. So how do you juggle it all? Real estate, the restaurants, the life, I do all that. kids. <laughs> now, I try not to think about it, to be honest with you. I um. Those are like you know, all individually full-time jobs. I get no, I get asked that all the time, and it's a fair, it's a fair question. Um, and I've I've really kind of matured in my ability to build a team and build systems um, because I cannot do it all by myself. One thing uh, I will not let slip behind is my life, and my family, and my my marriage. So that takes precedence over everything. I will not let go of my commitment to the community and my church. 
So that takes presence over everything. Everything else has to fill in. So I have to say no a lot. And me as a giver and as a person who's very benevolent and likes to, um, you know, be open arms, so to speak, it's hard for me to say no. I've had to learn to be strategic with my no's or figure out a different way to say yes. Um, but I, I don't believe in time management. Uh, I am very strict on my time, uh, and that has been a maturing process. I believe in priority management. There's different seasons where different things will take priorities. From January to August, the priority was getting Maple Street open. Um, and, and my family, again, communication with your family, communication with your wife, and they understood that, and they would help with that. You know, my son was out, out there making biscuits. <laughs> I don't know if there's child labor laws about that, so I might, might need to strike that from the record. But um, well, he wasn't paid, right? So yeah, that's, okay. that's right. Well, that, that might make it worse. Well, uh, <laughs> under the table. Um, but anyway, uh, so, um, and again, that's why it comes down to, you know, having a family and a, and a, a, a support system that kind of understands where you are. And so, again, I believe in priority management. So there's certain seasons where we're pitching listings that are hugely important. Uh, for the past three weeks, I've been traveling all over the state, pitching uh, a couple of different important listings. My family's okay with that. My, matter of fact, my mother-in-law was watching my daughter for the last three weeks, which I have to go get her this weekend. So it, there's different seasons for different priorities, um, but there are some, certain core priorities that cannot slip for me. Uh, that's, that's family, that's my faith, and then everything else falls uh, in between that. So when I look at my calendar, you know, where's my faith at? You know, what obligations do I have to my church and my community? Um, where's my family at? What obligations do I have to them? And everything else has to kind of fall in from there. Um, and different seasons will require that those things get shifted a little bit. Um, but it's core to who I am that my faith and my family come first. I'll have one more question for you. All right. It's the biggest one. Okay. It's heavy. All right, let me get some water then. All right. <laughs> LeBron James, great basketball player or the greatest? You about to start. You about to start something. In here. I'm intentionally trying to trigger you. So, you know, this is oh my goodness. The greatest, right? I mean, he's way better than Jordan. No, that's no, God no. I am a Chicago one, and it, that's home short, bias. Short of God and Jesus, there's Michael Jordan. <laughs> he that's is, just home bias. He is no. He is no. 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 There's there's a lot. There's there's six championships, five MVPs. Shoes that are still number one selling right, the today. The shoes are great. There's, there's yeah. no denying the yeah. shoes. But he had, he had help. LeBron can get no help. LeBron had LeBron, plenty LeBron's of help. playing against better players. LeBron had plenty of help. The modern athlete will always beat the LeBron athlete is, of LeBron yesterday. If, if we redid the 50 greatest players, I believe that Dwayne Wade would be on there. So you got the 50 greatest players so LeBron's there. LeBron's first. We can agree on that one. He'd be, he'd be in the top three. I'll give him top three. <laughs> And this, and, this, and this is why I have so much animosity, too. My wife is, like, the biggest LeBron James fan. So my wife oh, plays, all right. Well, she, I explained she, Yeah, she played basketball all her life, went to uh, a D2 school for, on scholarship playing basketball. So she, she came down to Florida to work for women's basketball. So she's really into basketball, and she loves LeBron James. Well, he's the greatest. As a, no, he's not the greatest, but she, and he's really not the greatest in my house. Um, but So she gawks over him whenever he's on the TV. Oh, LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. I literally joined CrossFit two years ago just so I can at least be as wide as LeBron. I can't be as tall as LeBron James, but I literally joined CrossFit so I can try to be as wide as LeBron James. It has not caught up yet, um, but she has made me chase with LeBron James. Now, I will say this. LeBron James, from a holistic standpoint, on and off the court, is probably the greatest athlete I've ever seen. In a social media generation where 
everything gets accentuated and everything comes to light. I've never seen any scandal with him. Um, he seems to be a family guy. I mean, I, don't, I take everything on social media with a grain of salt, uh, but it seems, that it seems pretty authentic. Um, so pound for pound, he is the greatest athlete. Now, in pure basketball skills, Michael Jordan will always and forevermore be the greatest basketball player of all times. Now that that's 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 all right. So I'll put you down for LeBron is greatest. LeBron is the greatest number two ever. (laughs) All right, well, Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.